Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And it's an honor today uh, to have Brother Rayleigh speak to us. And uh, I have anxiously looked forward to this day and this service because I feel that God has certainly given him something that will be not only fitting for this season and time, but it will be fitting for where we are in our lives. So I wonder if you'd make welcome to the pulpit our friend, Brother Rayleigh. Would you do that? Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. It's good to be here. It's good to be here this day. I myself have looked forward to this day for I appreciate what I feel in the Lord. But before we even start, I'll tell you what I want us to do. This time of year just seems like it's just no matter where you go, you have to wait in line, you have to you're just rushed, you just rush, 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 you go get something, you're just you're just wore out when you get back home. You just feel like you're exhausted. And um there's just seem like there's restrictions, there's just limitations, there's responsibilities that's put on us. And um if we don't watch it, we just bring that into the house of the Lord. And but God is not like that. So I tell you what I what I, I and and I'm serious about this. What I want you to do is take a deep breath right now. Now exhale. Now what I really want you to do is do that in your spirit. Because I'm telling you, what I want us to do is go home just as saturated as we can. Because our Father, our God, the world will celebrate Him one day a year. We celebrate Him every day of our life. This is our life. This is what we do. So God does not put it on on us. He does not run us ragged and then bring us in and just say, well, let me give you a little bit more. God touches us no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. If we are under the load, no matter, we can be just literally anywhere, anywhere, a hundred miles from here and just say, God, I need you. And only to realize that he's never left us. He is right there. He is right there. So what I'm saying is just relax in your spirit. Hear what the Lord would say to you today, because he has not come just to talk to me today. He's come to talk to us today. So let's pray, and let's pray for his will to touch us. Let's pray. God of heaven, we love you, holy God, and I know that you have come with a purpose, and that is to touch your children. So I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, under the authority of your name, that you would touch and minister, Lord God. We praise and magnify you, God, every day of the year. You are our God. You are our hope. And in you, Lord God, do we trust, Lord God. Our strength is found in you. Everything we knew, Lord God, everything we say, God, is in you. So I pray that you touch this day. Anoint us and strengthen us, Lord God. Have your way this day, God. I pray that you just touch us. Touch our minds, our hearts, our spirits, Lord God. Have your way this day, Lord God. And I know if you do, we can leave here refreshed, anointed, and just return in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God bless you. For right now, you may be seated. Our country does celebrate this at this time of year, but it just seems like with every passing year, a little bit of its meaning is lost. And I've said before, and I'll, I'll just continue to say, their meaning of Christmas and our meaning of Christmas will never match, nor should we try to make it match, because it just will not match. It will never match. It's just like the, it's just, and I understand people that has to make a living, so I'm not throwing rocks in what I'm fixing to say. But Black Friday, they keep moving it back, back, back. What is it, back to May now? And it's just, it's, I've said before, and don't take me wrong if you want a store, but greed knows no limit. And it's just, if I make a hundred today, maybe I can make a hundred and one tomorrow. And there's nothing wrong. We have to live. This Bible even says, if you won't work, neither should you eat. So I got nothing wrong with that. 
but you have to evaluate our motive. So I'm saying, I'm saying this. You gotta look at what's driving you. What is motivating you? What is pushing you? And at the end of the day, is it God that's driving me? Or is it greed or something else that's pushing me? I want God to be driving me. I want His motives to be pure and pure within me. So that's what's happening. And that's why I said we read. This is about literally, this is, this day, this time of season is about the hope of all mankind. And if this world ever needs hope, it really and truly is now. It really and truly is now. This is truly, I've said it and I'll continue to say it. This is the greatest love story that's truly ever been told. Because if just how we read that God himself would rope himself in flesh, come to this earth, take on a body, and then give himself for humanity, it is truly the greatest love story. And living at a time... What makes us, this story that we read in the Bible that we know to be factually true, that makes us so precious to us, is that we live in a world right now that just literally has no limits. They have took the limit off of everything. And I have, it, I, just through the years, you've known me now. You know me that I love dirt bikes. I love motorcycles. I've left you alone about it for a while, but I've got to give you another one today. So what I want to tell you, it happened April the 28th of this year. But first I want to go back and start in 2000. It is just, motocross is what I love. And if you don't, if you don't know what that is, it's just dirt bikes with a bunch of guys racing. And if you had never seen it, you might, you might not even like it. I really have a fondness, and that's an understatement for it. But these guys, what they started doing, to make a long, long story short, at the finish lines of these national races, they would do tricks. And the guys at the nationals said, we got to stop this. Before somebody literally gets hurt, we got to stop this. Because they started doing tricks at the end of the race. And then one guy tried to top the other one. And that's how freestyle motocross was born. So these guys says, well, they won't let us do jumps. We'll just get together and we'll just organize ourselves. So all of a sudden, they started holding this. And you know, people says, wow. We'll go watch them guys crash their brains out. You know, we'll, we'll buy tickets. We'll pay that. We'll pay to see that. So what happened at one of these events in the year 2000, Kerry Hart takes and flips his motorcycle backwards. And they said, ooh, we'll call that a backflip. It wasn't pretty, but he did it on a full-size dirt bike. Now, technically, you may not even care about this, but technically there had been a, a man doing this, but it was on a smaller dirt bike. So this guy got really ticked off because they didn't credit him. But Kerry Hart did it on a full-size bike in an organized event, so they credited him for doing the full backflip on a dirt bike. Okay. We jumped to 2006. Travis Pastrana, a fruitcake. He's at the X Games. What does he do? He does a double backflip. All right, and then this dude from Australia, Josh Sheehan, they work on a jump for a year at Travis Pastrana's house in Maryland. They work on it for a year. Now, vertical is 90 degrees. The ramp that he hit is at 81 degrees. That's almost vertical. He hits the ramp at 60 miles an hour. The ramp is 37 feet tall. He goes 80 foot in the air, and he does three complete backflips and lands on dirt. Now, as fascinating as that is to me, my point in even mentioning that is when is enough enough? And this is the way that I view things. And you can find it in every facet of life. In whatever you love. If you love any kind of sports, any kind of competition, you can see it. Am I saying that, that, that people should not better themselves? No. I'm saying we live in the age when they say, how dare you tell me what to do? I guarantee you right now, there's some guy right now, that has been knocked with so many concussions that says, you know what, I guarantee you I can do four. If I can go a hundred foot in the air, I can complete four backflips. 
And we have guys that do this for a living that says, this is insane. This should not even be attempted. And this guy does this. It takes him a year of landing on an airbag. And the guy, Travis Pastrana, that did the double backflip, he got knocked crazy so many times, he just, he just walked away. He said, I can't do this. But Josh Sheehan completes it. But my point is this. This is the world. This is the philosophy. In other words, when you, when you try to do something, when you try to flirt with something that has no rev limiter, you're in trouble. I mean, Satan will not tell you when you are getting too close to the line. It is just the world in which we live. It is just, I'm not saying that people shouldn't push or stress or try to be better. I'm not. This is the world in which we live. And I mean, you can go anywhere with this. It is just people, it's just couples, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about you, who you're married to. It's just nobody tells me what to do. This is me. I will conduct my life as I see fit. And no one and nobody and no Bible is going to tell me what to do. This is the world, and this is 2015, and this is where we're at. This is the way I look at it. I look at this guy, this fruitcake, doing these three flips, and this is what I perceive from it. This is literally life and death. He is one breath, one breath from in and in all. For what? For what? For nothing. For nothing. Just to have his name wrote down? The answer is, what is enough enough? The truth of it is, it never will be enough. It never will be enough. Never is it enough. Never is it enough. It never will be enough. And the, the pursuit, the drive, the passion, the thing that's driving them, it never will be enough. This is where we're at. That is why pastors has pulled people to the side. Only to be told, I've got this. I've got this. Only down the road to pull them back again and just hear it again. I've got this. And the pastor tell them, you don't understand. Now this has you. You have flirted with this too long. And you think you've had this. Now it has you. You can't flirt with it. You can't mess with something that knows no limit. Because when you flirt with it, you open yourself up to it, not realizing the damage that you're doing. Just as the fruitcake that did the three backflips, we don't realize when we flirt with the enemy just what we're opening ourselves up to. But it happens that when we do, it has no rev limiter. What I mean by that, it knows no limit. We don't realize what we're being opened up to. But that is the world. That's where we're at. God gave us a hope. He gave us a meaning, and He gave us a plan. And that is what I want to do my dead level best, to share with you today. So what I want you to do, I normally don't ask you to do that, but in honor to this, I want you to stand. Let's pray. I mean, excuse me, let's read. I'm going to just read two verses. Revelation, and I'm going to speak. I don't have, I never have much of a voice, and I can't talk too fast. So I'm going to ask you to stay with me. And I'm going to go to Genesis. Sorry, Brother Corn. I, I it just I'm going to go down familiar paths, but I want you to stay with me because I feel the Lord has given me something. So stay with me, and, and I'll just try to get through it as fast as I can. But I don't want to overrun the spirit. So let's read in Revelation the fifth chapter, and let's read two verses. I want to read nine and ten. I'm just jumping off, but we got to jump off somewhere, so let's start here. Revelation 5, chapter 5, and verse 9. It says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Speaking about the Lord Jesus. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of this word. Now, my title is simply this. I'm taking it out of the ninth verse. Why do we do what we do? For thou was slain. Literally, when you read or we understand or what we know, this captures everything that we do. If you want to know why we do what we do, right there. 
Because that is the reason. God Himself wrote Himself in flesh, came to this earth, was crucified. Why? When you look at yourself in the mirror, He was slain to uh, to, to free us from the bondage of sin, to give us victory, to make us overcomers. Literally, this is why we do what we do. Because thou was slain. That is my title. He has redeemed us to God by his own blood. He spilled his blood. He came. He redeemed us. The Bible tells us to, uh, that he did this. Literally. I look at it this way. And I wrote it down. To get us to the spirit. He had to do this through the flesh. And through the flesh, he had to spill that blood. For the Bible goes all the way back and it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. So therefore, God came. He died. He was crucified. For thou was slain. If you want to know what makes him worthy, that right there. He went to the cross. He's telling them right in the middle. I jumped right in the middle of something. But that is the reason. For thou was slain. When he looks at you to judge you, that's the reason he has the authority to do it. Because he went to the cross. He despised and the shame endured the cross, he was slain. That is the reason that he did this. Now, no one was left out. The Bible tells us for every king, for every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, it does not matter who they are, what they are to look like, no one is discriminated from. Every individual, every person, everyone has a chance to become a child of God. If anybody is discriminated, it's going to be us that does the discriminating. It's not going to be God. He does not do that. Now, he was done this. He was slain. He knows what it's like to live in the flesh. That's why I've said one time, he knows what it's like to walk on this earth, to live in this flesh. He knows what the passions of this flesh is like. He literally knows. Sometimes I think we literally forget sometimes that God literally came and lived on this earth and died. And sometimes I think we forget that. We forget his human side. He knows what it's like for to go through these passions. And we think that we endure things that when we pray that God can't relate to. That's not true. God can relate to it. When you go pray, and if you have someone close to you that's died, that's really hurt you, and it's cut you, when you go pray, do not forget, the humanity side of him literally died. So God knows what it's like. When when we are touched, we are grieved. If someone, if, if, if you've lived it, it's a spouse or whatever, or a child or somebody close to you has passed away, and it's hurt you deeply, God knows what it's like. He can touch us. He can give us comfort. He can give us what we need. He knows what it's like. So therefore, he gives us hope and comfort. He knows what it's like. That's why we do what we do and why we do what we do. Because thou was slain. He give us the reason. Now jump with me to Genesis 1.26. And that's where I'm going to jump again. Genesis 1.26. The Bible says this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them. Did you hear me? Let them have dominion. Them have dominion over the fish in the sea, the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth, that creepeth on the earth. Say, God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, this had never been done before, literally. Never been done before. How unique, how precious is this, that the God of heaven is, we got to saying is, where do you get somebody that has everything? And here is God taken. He's just, you know, I mean, that's an understatement. God's going to take. He's going to create a man and a woman. He's going to put the breath of life into their nostrils. And it's just something that the thing about it is once he imparted that, that part that he imparted into humanity would never die. We die. The flesh in us dies. But that spirit that's been imparted in us will never die. That is why we're preached to every time we come to church. You better know what your flesh is doing. You better stay on guard. You better guard your heart. Because your flesh can die. But your spirit is going to live on somewhere. That is why we're told that. Because God himself, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he says, in, in, in turn with me just uh, one chapter more. In Genesis 2 and 7. Uh, probably of all the verses, this is one of my, one of my favorite. 
Because this is where we started. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, here you have God. He took man. He formed him. I don't know how he did it. But literally, he took man of the dust of the ground, the earth. He took the earth and fashioned a man. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then the Bible says a man became. And once Adam became a living soul, the stage was set. That part of him would last forever. And we can't really, really and truly, we can't grasp that. We're only here a few years, and it's the way we see it, we're gone. We're done. But that thing that God put in him would last for an eternity. And there again, we just really can't relate to that. Unless God undaunts us to. Verse 8. And the Lord God formed man, excuse me, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who, who he had formed. Now, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Now, 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And excuse me, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, here is God imparting that to Adam that would live forever. He put his spirit in him. And then... But I tell you, this is one thing. We know the fall happened, the curse was made. But this is one thing I think about. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man. He gave him a job, but the garden was eastward in Eden. Now, when we think of the garden of Eden, we just think of it as a whole thing, but it wasn't. The Bible says the garden was eastward, eastward in Eden. What did God have designed for the rest of Eden? I don't know. I don't know. But I believe he had a plan for it. The garden was eastward. Eastward in Eden. And he put man there. He gave him a job. I don't know. I have an idea, but I won't say it. But I believe that, that God had a purpose for planting the garden eastward. Because the rest of Eden, he had a purpose for. And I'll just... Believe that. 18. Then he says, this is the first not good. Everything up to now has been good. 18. This is the first not good. Looks at Adam. I don't know what made God do it. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Now, he takes, and the Bible says, and I, and we've heard all kinds of stuff about this, about how the man's got one less rib than women and, and just, I, you, you can hear or read anything. I mean, all I got is a Bible and that's what I got to go with. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But what I'm saying, the Bible says that God took a rib, Adam fell in a deep sleep, he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. Now, okay, I'm going to leave that. Turn with me. I'm going to just jump again. Chapter 3. Look at verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Verse 9. And the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now, and the last one I'll read is 15. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the war was on, it had began. Humanity had failed, the curse was placed, and it had started, and it was not going away. Now, 
The Bible says that the Lord God took one of Adam's ribs. Now, when the Lord took Adam and formed him of the dust of the ground, there was one bone in Adam's body that the Lord made that was able to regrow itself. And what do you think that bone was? It was his rib. Medical, the medical profession has known this. That is why when we injure ourselves, they take part of our rib because our ribs has the ability to regenerate themselves. So while Adam is over there and he's talking about it's the woman that you give me, I don't know if I was God, I'd be telling him, look, you don't understand. The curse has been placed, and that which has the ability to regenerate itself, I took it, and that is what I made the woman out of. And I put the promise with her and not with you. So Adam is just, he's thinking, I don't know. You know, he, I don't know, he's over there crying about this, but the promise was given unto the woman. And the Bible tells us, that's why when he's telling the serpent, he says, this is war is going to be between thy seed and her seed. Well, as, as the man told us here a while back, she has no seed. So we know this to mean that it was on. Now, we know literally that when, when the Bible tells us we think about God taking literally Adam and forming him of the dust of the ground, the, God did do that. But then the Bible says that he took Adam and took one of his ribs and made Eve. And then, but what he done literally is he took something with the ability to regenerate itself. He made the woman. So literally what I get out of this is what Adam got, he got a bride, but a bride was produced from the wound in Adam's side. And God brought her to Adam. And therefore, from whatever Adam, the advantage, uh, or whatever he looked at her, or how he looked at her or not, I don't know. But this I do know. The hope for humanity was placed in the woman. Because this with the ability to regenerate itself was given to her. And not to Adam. So view this how we want to. I find it unique that God give us one bone with the ability to regenerate itself. And God said, that's what I'm going to take. I'm going to create and make the woman out of. And I'm going to take her and put her with the man. And as a team, they can procreate. They can feel this. But when it comes time and at the fulfillment, at the fulfillment now... The fulfillment of Genesis 3:15. Now, as we go further in the Bible, there is a couple that is not named. I don't know. I tried to find their name out. I, I'm not saying. I'm just saying I couldn't find their name. But I don't know what their name was. I just look at it like this. It's just they just. You know what? What should we name this child? And they just say, you know what? I think we should name her Mary. So they named this child Mary. And the Bible tells us that. When Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, we see that when the Lord was born, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, there was a curse that was placed on humanity then. And the Bible even tells us that Peter, or the Apostle Peter even said that the woman would be saved in childbearing. Therefore, meaning that one day her seed, speaking of Jesus Christ, would take and through that which has the ability to regenerate itself, God himself would come, overshadow Mary, and then she would be born, and that which was born of her would regenerate the humanity that was lost in the garden. So we see this happening. We see this was born. And then, that when the Lord was born, the Bible tells us, that all the prophecies, everything that was, was, had come up to then, that the Bible tells us in Colossians, that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. But the Bible tells us that God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. In the Old Testament, when God would appear, the Bible tells us that we know them as theophanies, when God would take a form, uh, temporarily, and then He would appear to Adam, uh, uh, to Adam and to Abraham and to others, and to Moses. But then, that was just temporary only. But now, 
uh, God had a image, and they said the Bible says that image was Jesus Christ. Now the ancient of days had a face. They knew the uh, the the God of the Old Testament with over three hundred and thirty prophecies. They know that what that was written about the Lord coming to pass as Jesus Christ. We see this now. The first Adam sinned and went wrong. Now the second Adam was being born. The second Adam came and was born, and we know him by Jesus Christ. This hope, this hope that came and was born, and then to only be with us on this earth, 33 and a half years, but the legacy, everything that he left, the hope that he left, we have. He didn't leave us without hope. He gave us his word. He, We know all of his promises that we have recorded in his word, and he gave them to us. He gave them to us, and we have it. Now, the Bible tells us in John that one of the soldiers, I believe that when we go to his crucifixion, the Bible tells us that they just took, I don't know, they didn't want him to stay on the cross very long, so if, if they come around, if they still wasn't dead, so they couldn't lift themselves up, if, if the beaten hadn't beat them to death, that they would break their legs. That's cruel, but I, I don't know how no other way to put it. They would break their legs so they couldn't lift themselves up and, and, and basically get oxygen. When they come to the Lord, the Bible says none of his bones would be broke. The Lord had already gave up his human spirit and, and died as we know it. So, But just out of meanness and just pure cruelty, the Roman soldier takes a spear and what does he do? He thinks he's just being mean. He thrust it into the side of the Lord. And the Bible says came out blood and water. And he thinks he's just being cruel, but he's fulfilling prophecy. So look at it how you want to this world, no matter the chaos, ever how crooked or chaos or upside down you think it is. And we say sometimes we think it's just like an upside down thing. We think we look at what's going on and it doesn't match his statement. But God is in control. This Roman soldier just think, you know what, I'm going to take and jam this spear in his side. And I'm going to do it out of pure spite. But when he did, blood and water came out. And I'm telling you, a church, a bride was born when he did that. Just in the first Adam, when the wound, the bride was born from the wound of the first Adam, the second Adam. When this happened, the bride was born. When he thrust that spirit into him, we know this it, to happen. That is why we do not take this lightly. When we take, we come in. The Bible tells us that you should come in and you should repent. And you should be baptized and you should receive His Spirit. That is why we do not take this lightly. We do it. And, and, and the Bible tells us in, in the book of uh, Matthew that the Lord Himself said, Not everyone, in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, would enter into the kingdom of heaven. But He, he said, Lord, Lord, twice. Lord, Lord, would enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, or the will of the Spirit which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, many shall say to me, the Lord standing there in the flesh, and he's looking at their eyes. Many shall say unto me in that day. The only way he can say, standing there in that flesh, the only way he can say, anybody can say unto me, is the Spirit that's dwelling within him. Now he said, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we, and in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name have we done many wonderful works? Then he's going to profess to them, I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity now this is this to me 22 is the height 22 is the height of deception when someone can take and see what the name of jesus christ will do and use that name and use it and think it's all about them that they have the authority that it's them that's doing all of this and they stand there and know who they're speaking of because they say, Lord, Lord. And then they say, we've preached, we've cast out devils, and then we've done many mighty wonderful works. Look, Lord, we've done miracles in your name. And not realize, what is the common denominator in this verse? It is in thy name that we've done this. We've done this in your name. And then he's going to tell them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You just used my name, but you wouldn't take my name. I never knew you. You just wouldn't do it. So that's why he's telling them. And then, then in the book, jump with me uh, or turn with me if you want to in Acts, the second chapter, 
in Acts 2, 36, And then let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they was pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, Men and the rest of the apostles, What should we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, when we repent, first you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. God said, first acknowledge that you're a sinner. Then be baptized. Take my name. Take my name. I believe when you are baptized, you take that name. You are not literally. It's just like when we when we marry. You know, just pardon me if you call me old-fashioned. When you're, I'm a man, so when my wife literally took my name, she was not ashamed to marry me, to take my name. So you take his name. You're not saying I'm a Christian, but, but I'm just, what what are you? I'm nothing. I am called by the name of Jesus is who I am. I have took his name. And, and the Bible says, and it goes all the way back to the Passover, about the, the, the blood. When you are baptized, the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. For literally, the Bible tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And then, and then in, in 38, it tells us, for the remission of sin, for the forgiveness. If you get forgiveness of your sins, it will be in the name of Jesus. There is no other name that you will get forgiveness in. The Bible tells us it is for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. So you have, you have been baptized. You have the forgiveness of sin. You have took this. The blood of Jesus Christ is symbolically applied to your life. Then you receive the Holy Ghost. We know about the seal, what it means. The Bible tells us the Holy Ghost is to seal, to seal us. And then we have so many crazy people running around, false prophets, giving all these classes. I'm telling you, the seal of the Holy Ghost, we know, and we speak of seal in our days, what it means to seal, and I'm not speaking against that. But to seal, in biblical terms, means to mark. God has marked His. The Bible says God knows them that are His. And the Bible says in the beginning of Acts that they spoke as the Spirit gave the utterance. Those that speak in the Holy Ghost and do not speak as a Spirit that does not give the utterance, they do not get an ark. They do not get a mark. I'm telling you, that is Bible. It says they spoke as the Spirit gave the utterance. That is the Holy Ghost. That is nothing to be scared of. That is the Spirit of God. And he said, speak as the Spirit gave the utterance. That's what we believe. We do not teach. We do not beg nobody to get the Holy Ghost. When their heart is conditioned, when they know who the Spirit of God is, is Jesus Christ. It is Yahweh in the Old Testament. He came in the flesh. He loves us. He gave us His Spirit, and God said, I will mark you. I will mark you. And that's what happens. He puts His mark on you, and then He does this. Now, when He does this, He marks us. He knows us. We are His. He has marked us. He knows us. Now, I want you to jump with me. I want to go back to where I started in Revelation 5. And I want you to, um, in Revelation 5, I want to read verse 8. Now, this the fifth chapter of Revelation to me is really is truly unique. This really explains the flesh and the spirit because John it's it's almost it is truly unique when they they speak in the in the fifth verse the line of the trump of Judah and in the sixth verse when it tells where the Lord is he's in the midst and then he looks and it's like what he's what John is expecting to see I don't know. You know, because the elder is, is quoting, look, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And I think he's looking for this mighty warrior. But he sees this lamb as it had been slain. Now, don't forget, this is a vision. Now, the flesh and the spirit. Now, somehow the lamb, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I hadn't fully wrapped this around my mind how this happened. But what has happened is... For the verse I read, that God is worthy, he had took the book from the Spirit, and then in the eighth verse, when he had taken the book, that's where we pick it up, when the flesh 
of the flesh of God, the Lamb had taken the book and the four beasts and the 24 elders. We got 24 ribs, not that I'm a numbers man. He had fell down before the Lamb and everyone having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now I want to tell you what I think that means. The last phrase of that is, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which is incense. Now, which are the prayers of the saints. If you would, just leave that verse up there, please. Now, this is why I don't just discard Old Testament analogies. Here is the revelation of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Exodus to make a point. And I'm going to tell you what I think. Or I'll just tell you, I'll just leave it like this to you. I'll tell you what that means to me. He says, golden vials full of odors, incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, when you take, the Bible tells us, when I give you the Holy Ghost, that I will put my mark, I will put my seal upon you, but that's not all they are to it. That's not all they are to it. In the Old Testament, now he makes, he, the, the Lord makes reference to this. They would take, you would have the tabernacle, you would take your offering, your sacrifice, you would turn it over to the priest, the priest would offer it on the offering of burnt offerings in the holy place to your left, if, if I've got it correct, when you go in, there was an altar of incense. The way I look at it, Outside, it was not pretty. The sacrifices that was made was just what it sounded like. It was a sacrifice. Now, you had the blood, you had everything. I'm not going to get gory, but you just have to picture it. Now, inside, they had the incense. Now, but here's the thing. This is God's command. God demanded this. He did not want, when they went from the sacrifice into the holy place, He did not want it so much for you to carry that smell in there. So God demanded that this incense to burn in there. Other words, it's just like I said when we started. We come in here frazzled sometimes. And we just have to slow ourselves down. We have to slow this mind down. We have to gather ourselves. Because that's that's just humanity. But God said, burn incense. Just try to create, and it really and truly what it was, it was just a pleasing aroma. And, And God said, you take, you burn that. And he says, they had golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, the Bible tells us, through the wild man... Through John, John the Baptist. When he come out, what was unique about John? It says that God so loved him. He said, I'm going to give him the Holy Ghost before he sees the light of day. I'm going to fill him with my spirit in the womb. And that's what the Bible says. So John the Baptist, he just said, you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, at the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that there was cloven tongues as of fire that set upon each and every one of them. Now, That's why I said we've got to do this and we've got to do it the way the Bible says. That's why I said when you receive His Spirit, it's got to be as the Spirit gives the utterance. Because we want everything that we do to be biblical. We want to have a basis for it. We want to do it correctly. And God says, I will give you the Holy Ghost and I'll give you a fire because here is the reason. Because literally in the Old Testament, God demanded the incense. And here it's telling us that I will collect your prayers. Because really and truly, what is the reason? The reason, I think, or here is the analogy that I made. Before, 
the incense is of any value, it has to have fire. There's got to be fire put to it. So if I don't have a fire with me, that's why John the Baptist even said before his end, he said, there's one coming mightier than me. He's not only going to give you the Holy Ghost, he's going to give you the Holy Ghost and fire. He's going to give you that. So now, when you take, if you've laid on your bed half the night, and literally, and cried and prayed, what you have done, literally, you have presented your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and what you have done is presented a sweet-smelling savor unto God that He has not only collected, He has preserved in literally in golden vials, which are the prayers of the saints. And that we have in writing. Because that's why I said, I don't want just the Holy Ghost. I want the fire that goes along with it. I want my prayers to be preserved, to be saved. And God said, if I would do that, then I would receive the Holy Ghost and speak as the Spirit gives the utterance. Then, then, then my prayers would be preserved. And that's what it means to me. For he says, he would not make this reference if it did not mean something. For I believe that he says, there must be a fire accompanied with it. And if you would do that, then you would ignite the incense. And it does not mean whether you've cried or not, or whether you've just sung in tongues and put yourself to sleep. It does not matter. You've presented your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord, and your prayers are preserved. Remember that. They are preserved. You have His Word. Now, I will take, and even Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. And I believe God anointed him to put the word bones there. It's basically... It's what gives me strength. It shut up in my bones. This is my strength. For Jeremiah even said, I won't even speak of it. But he found he couldn't do it. He found he couldn't do it. And I will close with this. Now, what I want to do, the Bible tells us, I didn't give them these scriptures, so so, um, I'll just read them. The Bible tells us in... That we have, I want you to listen, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Okay. Okay. I started too quick. This is the Apostle Peter. And he said it like this. He explained it like this. Listen to these words. For we have not followed cunning, devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We just didn't tell you a story just to try to create something. We hadn't followed this. We hadn't given you this by just these fables. But we made known unto you the power at the Lord's coming. Now, And the Bible says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, the Bible says this also, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. The last one I'll read. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but listen to this phrase, but holy men of God spake as they was moved By the Holy Ghost. Now, verse 20. I'm in 2 Peter if you're wondering. Verse 20 says that no prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. We have not given our own philosophy. When a minister ministers after the anunction of the Holy Ghost, it's not his own philosophy. He has given you as thus saith the Lord. So he is telling you what God would say. Verse 21, Prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake on as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Now that intrigued me. In the Old Testament, they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. 
The Holy Ghost was not poured out until, officially, until the day of Pentecost. But this is mercy. God said, I tell you what I'm going to do. Everything is about regeneration when it comes to humanity. That is why the one bone that he put in us that would regenerate itself, he created a woman with. And that's why he took and came through the body of a woman to present himself to the cross and gave us a plan of redemption that we could have. That's why he said now that the holy men of old spake on as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Ghost wasn't, wasn't given at that time. But God said, I'm telling you, I'm going to give to you the spirit of regeneration. And I will not give it unto you without telling the holy men of old what to write. Why? God said it himself. Because they will speak of me. It is going to be me, Yahweh, in human flesh. That is why holy men of old spake on as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. That's why the spirit of regeneration anointed the men in the Old Testament. God is saying it is going to link. They are not going to speak. He could have said they was moved on by the spirit. God don't work that way. His mercy is shown here. He said the spirit I give to you is what I will anoint Jeremiah and Isaiah and Moses. These men that write, I will anoint them of the same spirit that I'm going to give to you. That regeneration power and spirit that I have given unto you. And that is why we do what we do. For thou was slain. He came. He loved us more than anything. That is why. Probably one of the most beautiful scriptures I did. I, I have... Uh, I said that I love. God said, look anywhere, go anywhere, do anything you want. You will never behold nothing any more valuable than what you are worth. And I think if we could fully, truly understand that, that we would realize the value and the meaning of what God did on Calvary. He did it all for us, for humanity and the world will only even slow down and, and put a blip on the screen one day, one day a year. That's why I said this is too valuable for one day a year. It is his love, his compassion, his mercy. And he gave it all for humanity. He gave it all to us, his love and compassion. And it was all done, and it was all done for us. God has a purpose and a plan, and he gave it all, everything. And I have purposely... Withheld one word until now. And now I'll say it. Merry Christmas. It's coming this week. But in truth, may God bless us, touch us, and just try to slow yourself down to realize in truth just what this week is really going to mean. Because it's more than we'll ever know. And may God bless us. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.